In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, last night I watched President Obama deliver his State of the Union address, and probably the only good thing about the speech was that I knew it was the last time he would give such a speech as President of the United States. And in fact, I think it will probably go down in history as the most clueless State of the Union address ever because all he talked about was how great the economy was you know how he created all these jobs you know he, he even had the chutzpah to take credit for reducing the budget deficit i mean the guy doubled the national debt during his presidency or by the time he leaves the national debt would have doubled so here you got a guy who added more debt to the united states than every president from George Washington to George Bush combined. Yet he's taking credit for reducing the deficit. But, you know, speaking about George Bush, at least when he gave his final uh, State of the Union address, he acknowledged problems brewing in the economy. He wasn't blinded to what was going on. He actually acknowledged the concerns that were being addressed uh, by American people at that time, and he validated them. Uh, and, you know, he talked about the, the stimulus plan that he had, which, of course, I disagreed with. But at least he he knew the economy was in some trouble and he validated the concerns of the voters. He acknowledged that the economic growth was slowing and that housing was down. He didn't even come close 
to preparing Americans for what was about to unfold uh, by the middle of the year, the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, when the president delivered that State of the Union address, the economy was already in recession. The Great Recession had already started. Of course, the government hadn't acknowledged it yet. So his address was clueless in the sense that he had no idea just how precarious the State of the Union actually was. We were on the precipice of this big cliff, and we were about to go over it, and he had no idea. I mean, he he was still optimistic long-term. He was a little cautious given the slowdown in the economy and the slowdown in housing, and he wanted to come up with some new government stimulus uh, to try to circumvent or you know mitigate the slowdown. But clearly, he didn't foresee or warn about the severity of the problem, but at least he acknowledged some problem. In contrast, President Obama, I believe that our economy now is poised on a much bigger precipice. We're about to go over a much bigger cliff. The coming economic crisis is far worse. But rather than at least acknowledging that everything isn't perfect and there's some things to worry about, President Obama is completely clueless in claiming victory over the Great Recession, claiming that he's restored economic health and vitality, that everything is great. There's just a few little problems beyond his control because, you know, the economy is changing and he can't help uh, this change. But what we do need is more government money for education to train people for this new economy. We need a higher minimum wage. We need higher taxes on on the rich. Uh, but everything is great. So his State of the Union address is on an order of magnitude more clueless than uh, anything that uh, that George Bush said when he delivered his address on the eve of the greatest economic collapse since the Great Depression. We're now on the eve of a collapse even greater than the Great Depression, yet President Obama is saying that everything uh, is, is awesome. What President Obama did was to lecture the voters on why they have nothing to be concerned about. He basically said that anybody who thinks the U.S. economy is in decline is crazy, is clueless. I forget the exact word that he used, but I thought he was talking specifically to me when he said stuff like that, or people who think like me. And obviously, it's the people who don't recognize the decline in our economy. They're the ones that are in denial, or they have some kind of political agenda like the president. But what the president said is that if you think the economy is headed in the wrong direction, if you think the America is in decline, you're wrong it's everything is getting better. It's just that the economy is changing. You know, it's it, it's changing. Because remember, you voted for me and I promised change and see it's changing. Yeah, it's changing because it's getting worse. That's the change. But President Obama is talking about technology. See, he said that there's this technological revolution going on. And, and that's the problem, because, you know, there's this transition that we're in now. And so this is why, you, you know, you feel like you're falling behind, even though you're not, because you don't understand the changes that are going on, which is pure nonsense. I mean, there hasn't been a new technological revolution that began with the inauguration of President Obama. I mean, the the uh, technology uh, revolution has been ongoing for decades now. It's certainly progressing, but I would say it is no more transformative. In fact, it's probably less transformative than was the Industrial Revolution. You know, machines put a lot more people out of work uh, than computers. Uh, but 
we saw an expanding uh, labor force uh, back then, although actually not for women. See, women left the labor force because their husbands started making so much money that the wives didn't have to work. But real wages were rising. See, the difference between the Industrial Revolution and the Technology Revolution is the Industrial Revolution took place in a free market economy. The information uh, or technology revolution is taking place in a government-controlled economy, in a highly socialized economy. And the reason that so many people are suffering is not because the economy is changing. Those types of changes are good. That's progress. And progress has been ongoing in the free market. What's changing is the size of government, the nature of government. We used to be a free market, and now we're not. So the reason that there's so much uh, despair, the reason there's so much poverty, the reason that the nation is in decline and that the president doesn't want to acknowledge it is because the government is responsible. You know, one of the things he said in his speech was that a rising standard of living is within our reach. You know, it used to be in our grasp. We had a rising standard of living for generations until the government came in and screwed it up. And the only reason that it's no longer in our grasp is because the government ripped it from our hands. That's what happened. Yet he's promising to deliver us something that we used to have and that the government took away. You know, when he was lecturing people about how great it is, but they just don't know it, how we've created all these jobs, record numbers of jobs. Yes, we have created a lot of jobs under the Obama administration. The problem is we would have created much better jobs and far more of them had we not had the Obama administration. Of course, one of the other things that Obama doesn't mention is a lot of the people who have jobs in the Obama administration don't want them. They were retired and now they have to work because they can no longer afford to stay retired in the Obama economy. And of course, a lot of the other jobs are part-time jobs and are low-paying jobs. You know, we've created a record number of jobs for waiters and bartenders during the Obama administration. Problem is, a lot of these waiters and bartenders have college degrees and the loans to prove it. You think they want to be waiting tables? No. So the jobs that have been created are not the jobs that people want. They're the jobs that people have to settle for. And of course, one of the reasons we've created so many jobs is because we needed a lot of part-time jobs to replace the full-time jobs that President Obama's policies destroyed. But no, no, he doesn't want to address that. He wants to tell everybody why, if you, if you think the economy is going in the wrong direction, you're wrong. You just don't realize how great you have it. So basically, you know, you're watching him. I'm thinking about all the people who are listening to this speech, right? I mean, think about the average American whose wages have been falling for the entire time Obama's been president. They used to own a house and now they're and now they and had home equity. Now they lost their home and their equity, and now they're renting, and their rent has gone up every year the president has been in office, except their salary has gone down. In fact, maybe they used to have a full-time job when Obama took office, and now they've got two part-time jobs, and they're working more hours but earning less money. Uh, or maybe it's a college grad who you know, has a, an enormous amount of debt. And he can't get a job. And maybe he's still living with his parents. I mean, thinking about all these 30-year-olds who are still living at home with their parents. And Obama's telling them how great it is. And, uh, you know, they can't get jobs and they have massive amount of debt. And what about the parents of that 30-year-old? I mean, they're listening to this speech, too. And they're like, I can't, why can't my kid leave the nest? I wanted to be an empty nester. And, I, you know, no, none of my chicks are leaving the nest. How are they feeling? You know, and they probably still have a bunch of debt. You know, they have auto debt, they have 
uh, mortgages if they still have their houses. They've got credit card debt, student debt. The one thing they don't have is savings. People have nothing saved for retirement. Forget about retirement. People don't even have money saved up for an unexpected, you know, auto repair. You know, that, or, you know, people don't even have 500 bucks in the bank. People are living not just paycheck to paycheck, but credit card to credit card. People are looking in the mail for some kind of offer where they can roll over one balance to another credit card. I mean, this is how people are living in this Obama economy. He didn't mention anything about the record number of people on food stamps, on disability, the collapse in the labor force. I mean, all these things have happened while Obama has been in office, yet he doesn't want to accept any responsibility for any of the problems. He wants to stand there and give this speech as if everything is great. And the only thing left, the only unfinished business is to raise the minimum wage and maybe increase taxes on the rich. You know, he also went after Wall Street for being reckless and he you know, blamed Wall Street for the 2008 financial crisis. And again, you know, there's no question that Wall Street was reckless. But why? They didn't just become reckless for no reason. They became reckless because the Federal Reserve was reckless. They became reckless because the president and Congress were reckless. They were responding to the incentives that were being created from Washington. Monetary incentives, regulatory incentive, tax incentives. So all of that, whatever Obama is blaming on Wall Street, he's blaming government. Because it's the government that created the conditions that led to the reckless activity on Wall Street. Had the government not interfered the way they did, had the Federal Reserve not slashed interest rates uh, the way they did, uh, then Wall Street wouldn't have acted the way it did. In a free market, you don't get that kind of behavior. A free market reigns in that kind of behavior. There's a natural check and balance when people are motivated by the opposing forces of fear and greed. But when the government takes away the fear with subsidies and bailouts and Greenspan puts or Bernanke puts, they encourage it with too big to fail, stuff like that. Yes, you don't have the normal uh, tensions uh, between fear and greed that are going to balance the economy. When the government takes away the fear of losing your bank deposit by insuring it, they create a moral hazard. Moral hazards aren't existing in a free market. They exist in response to the government interference with the free market. Of course, President Obama also mentioned that he thought the biggest threat to the planet was climate change, right? And we have to do something about climate change. First of all, there's nothing we can do about climate change, even if it is the threat that the president thinks it is, I doubt there's anything that we humans can do about it. If the Earth's climate is going to change, it's going to change. I mean, the climate's been changing for billions of years, and I doubt that anything we can do is going to interfere with Mother Nature's plan for our uh, you know, climate. But the real threat to America is not coming from nature. It is coming from government particularly to America, it's coming from our government. It's coming from Barack Obama and his cronies. Uh, it's the socialist policies, these big government policies, status policies. That's the threat that Americans face. And that's man-made. We can actually do something about that threat. You know, maybe we can't do anything about climate change, but we can do something about political change. That's easy. The problem is, you know, we haven't been able to accomplish it. 
He also talked about how the American economy is the envy of the world. Like everybody is envying the American economy. I mean, he's so arrogant as to think this. I mean, first of all, maybe they're a little bit jealous of the fact that we can borrow so much money and we never seem to have to pay any of it back, that we've got this endless credit line. Uh, Also, they may be jealous of the fact that we can consume all this stuff yet produce very little. Right? We can run these huge trade deficits year after year after year because normal countries can't get away with that. So we get away with a lot of stuff that other people can't get away with. Uh, but this is going to come to an end. And rather than being you know, the envy of the world, I think our economy is going to be the laughing stock of the world. I mean, this whole economy is going to implode. That's why I said that this could go down in history as one of the most clueless uh, State of the Union addresses because he talked about how sound our union is, how it's in such great shape. Because, you know, he, he came in and it was a mess. But now, you know, now that he's leaving, he's fixed everything. He hasn't fixed anything. He took what was broken and broke it even more. And, of course, he had a lot of help from the Federal Reserve. He didn't do it all by himself. And, you know, when he went over all his accomplishments, you know, for uh, Obamacare or student loans, I mean, he, he took the health care system that was a disaster and made it a much bigger disaster. I mean, how can anybody feel that they've accomplished something. Look at the cost of insurance when Obama was elected and look what it costs now. And not only the cost, but the quality. You pay more and you get less. That's his success. And to talk about student loan program, the government nationalizing the student loan system, student loans have gone off the chart. If you think it's a success that students have more debt than ever before, yet at the same time have fewer employment opportunities than ever before, yes, all these students that are graduating with these government loans, $100,000 in loans, all they can get is part-time jobs, waiting tables, or attending bar, and the president wants to take a bow. And he wants to tell you overly indebted uh, college-educated bartenders that if you think the country is going in the wrong direction, you're just wrong. It's not going in the wrong direction. It's getting better. You just don't understand the change that's taking place, right? The, the technological revolution, there's just a big change. See, it's not he didn't do anything wrong. It's just that the economy is changing. But we are on the verge of this massive economic collapse because so many people— uh, around the world, actually believe the president, right? So many currency traders who have been buying up the dollar, right? They actually believe this nonsense. See, they actually think that the U.S. economy has been recovering. You know, why do they think that? Well, because they just believe what the government tells them, or they believe what Janet Yellen says, or what Ben Bernanke says. You know, why don't they listen to Alan Greenspan? Because, you know, he's the one former Fed official that's been, you know, saying things are, are bad, He's saying, you know, we're, we're in a lot of trouble. He's not trying to uh, sugarcoat everything the way uh, Ben Bernanke is uh, and the way Janet Yellen is. But for some reason, they, nobody wants to pay attention to, to Greenspan anymore. They just want to pay attention to Bernanke and Yellen because they say everything is great that, you know, it must be. But they have a vested interest in saying everything is great because this is their policy. They own this recovery, which means they own this recession. Now, you know, Alan Greenspan, he inflated the housing bubble fine, and he he doesn't want to accept responsibility for the financial crisis because he caused that. But he's trying now to distance himself from the next crisis that Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen are causing. And so he's, you know, speaking a little more candidly, but for some reason, everybody is still hanging on to this idea that The economy is sound. 
despite the fact that there is now overwhelming evidence, economic evidence and uh, market evidence, that that is not the case. You're seeing awful economic data everywhere but the non-farm payroll numbers. And again, I've said before, those are lagging indicators and those numbers, there's so much seasonality adjustments in there and, and, and birth death assumptions that they're not even as reliable as all the other indicators that are flashing recession, recession, recession. But not only now do you have uh, economic indicators, but you have the Russell 2000s in a bear market. The transports are in a bear market. Most stocks are in bear markets. And you have the major indexes, the NASDAQ and the S&P. Uh, they're just in correction territory. But that's because you have some of these huge stocks that everybody is gambling on uh, that have been going up. But, you know, the history shows that people stay in denial for a long time, right? If you become wedded to a particular perspective, and then there's evidence that your perspective is wrong, you don't just immediately give up the conviction that you've held. It takes overwhelming evidence. Because I remember you know, when the NASDAQ bubble burst, it burst in early 2000. The NASDAQ collapsed, all these internet stocks started going bankrupt. So that happened. But people were in denial for the entire year, it wasn't until 2001 that the S&P and the Dow started to go down, and then we went into recession. And I was saying all throughout the 90s, or not the whole night, but 98, 99, that when the internet bubble burst, that we would have a recession, because I recognized how much economic activity was related to the wealth effect of all these people that were getting jobs in the dot-com industry and then were getting windfalls. And they were buying houses, they were buying cars based on their stock options. And I also knew that there were mom and pops all around the country who were getting rich gambling on dot-coms and they were spending those uh, paper riches on vacations and, and new cars and big screen TVs and stuff like that. So I knew that when the NASDAQ bubble burst that it would usher in a recession. But Wall Street was oblivious to that. When they saw the NASDAQ bubble burst, not only did they not think it was a problem for the market, because they said, well, it's just, it's just technology, or it's not even all of tech, it's just internet. They said the, the overall market is fine. They said it's not going to impact the economy because it's such a small sector. So they were completely in denial because, of course, they had a vested interest in maintaining their bullish outlook. And so, you know, they just built up a wall that refused to acknowledge all this bad news. And at some point, maybe it was the events of September 11th, but all of a sudden uh, something happened and uh, the markets collapsed and we went into recession. Well, the same denial happened with the real estate market, right? Because when the, when, the, when the subprime bubble burst, and even before, before it burst, you know, you had subprime, a couple of subprime companies went bankrupt. There were all kinds of warning signs, yet people still were oblivious. The Moody's, uh, uh, S&P, they still had AAA ratings on a lot of this subprime debt, even though it was obvious, obvious that there was a problem because the issuers were going bankrupt. And then you had Countrywide having all these huge problems, and still people were oblivious. And, and then even after the subprime market collapsed, finally, with most of these bonds still, still sported AAA ratings or high credit ratings, you know, they collapsed. None of them were downgraded because people were oblivious. But even after it was an obvious disaster, what was the reaction uh, in you know, Wall Street or what was the reaction at the Fed? Don't worry about it. It's contained. It's just in subprime. And clearly it wasn't just in subprime. I said that over and over again, that it was the entire mortgage market that was in trouble. 
It's just that subprime is where you saw it first. You know, it was the most extreme example. It was the weakest link, so it broke first. But, you know, the whole chain was weak. And now that's what's happening once again. All this overwhelming evidence that the economy is sick, that the market is sick, and yet people, and like just like they did in 2000 or 2008, they're ignoring it, they're rationalizing it, they're explaining it away, but... Before too long, they're not going to be able to do this anymore, especially since it's an election year. I think it's going to be a bad tactic for the Democrats to try to just deny what the voters are feeling, to tell the voters they're foolish and stupid for thinking things are getting worse. They don't realize how good they've got it. I think if the Republicans can tap in to that anxiety uh, about the future and the dissatisfaction that is obviously extreme. I mean, that's one of the reasons that Donald Trump is so popular. And, you know, he's not only just popular with Republicans, he's popular with a lot of Democrats, which is a reason that he might actually get elected uh, if uh, if he gets the nomination. But if the Republicans are going to be tapping into that voter frustration and disgust and the falling standard of living, and if all the Democrats got is to try to tell them why, you know, they're foolish, like give them like a, a slap in the face, patent style. Hey, you know, stop crying. You know, everything is great. You know, that is not going to be a winning strategy. So they are going to have to start acknowledging the problems in a much bigger way and not just talk about how, you know, we got to have the higher minimum wage because of too much technology. They're going to have to acknowledge just like just like Bush acknowledged in his State of the Union address, although it's too late for Obama to do it there. But they're going to have to come up with a stimulus plan to revive this economy between now and the uh, 2016 election. And the Federal Reserve is going to be on board. Because Janet Yellen, I went over this in a previous podcast, she already admitted, she was asked a question, what are you going to do if the economy is in recession in 2016? And as far as I'm concerned, it will be. All the evidence says that it may already be. And what did Janet Yellen say? Well, she said that, well, she doesn't believe that we will be in a recession in 2016, her answer was, if it turns out that we raised interest rates, we will lower them, right, which means back to zero. And then she said we would restart the asset purchase program because, in her words, it worked so well before. So in other words, even if we're back in recession in 2016, Janet Yellen is not going to admit that QE didn't work. Even if we're back in recession The minute the Fed tried to raise rates, it doesn't invalidate the cheap money policies that supposedly uh, were validated by the ability to raise rates. If the minute you raise rates, you're right back where you started from. She's not admitting that it didn't work. She's just doubling down or in this case, tripling down or quadrupling down on the same failed policies. So that is what is coming. And that is what's going to yank the the bottom out of the dollar. That's going to be the big game changer. And then it's going to get much, much worse for Americans because not only are they going to deal with a lousy economy, but they're going to be dealing with a rising cost of living. Yes, the voters now are temporarily benefiting from all this insanity in the currency markets because they're buying gasoline for cheaper or, you know, their food prices or a lot of their prices are lower because everybody has all this false confidence. Well, when the false confidence is replaced by reality, when all the speculators who have been betting on this recovery find out that they bet wrong and now they're going to start betting against it all at the same time, right, and then the, the dollar drops through the floor – All these low prices are going to become high prices, and this economy is going to kick into a whole new gear of misery for the average American.
There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make TruthinMedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit TruthinMedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access to Truth and Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com.